This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. And we'll begin with breaking news of that fiery plane crash in South Surrey. The small plane went down on Blackie Spit in Crescent Beach. Let's bring in our Troy Charles, who was live near the scene. And Troy, this was a close call for the pilot. Yeah, Sophie, here at Crescent Beach, and you know, just about 200 yards behind me here earlier, it was the site of an incredible story of survival. Eyewitnesses tell me around 2.30 p.m. this afternoon is when they first saw the small plane flying alarmingly low over Crescent Beach. Shortly after that, the plane crashed in a marshy wetland area just along the shore of Blackie Spit and then burst into flames. To the amazement of many bystanders, the pilot, who was the only person on board, was able to walk away from the wreckage with only minor injuries. The pilot was treated by emergency personnel, then taken away in an ambulance. No one else was injured. Fire crews arrived on scene and doused the burning wreckage. And just not too long ago, officials with the Transportation Safety Board arrived on scene to investigate. An eyewitness video we obtained shows the plane's final moments and it's clear from the sound of the engine that something wasn't right. He just went out of sight and then a huge crash, huge. And then maybe one, one minute later, one and a half minutes later, an explosion. Yeah, he was sitting on the bench for a while and uh... Nobody even, nobody was really tending to him until the, until the fire and the ambulance got here. So I didn't even know it was him until I turned around and saw people starting to treat him. All right, what do we know at this point, Troy, about the pilot's condition? Yeah, Sophie, RCMP announced just minor injuries, and I spoke to one of the pilot's friends after everyone had kind of cleared the scene. He said he was doing just all right. You could see from some of that footage, he was sitting on a bench here. He had his shirt removed, and there were a few burn spots across his body, nothing major, and the paramedics were telling him they were going to be bringing the stretcher out and bringing him into the ambulance, but he just wanted to walk to the ambulance but paramedics insisted he get on the stretcher. Obviously, he probably had a lot of adrenaline running through his body, seeing as he just survived a plane crash. I, I would think, for sure. All right, thanks for that, Troy. Troy Charles reporting in Crescent Beach. A bizarre story is unfolding after a car crashed into the community policing office in Aldergrove last night. It all started when witnesses saw the vehicle speeding through the streets with the driver door wide open and a woman being dragged. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. The front end of a black sedan destroyed. The driver's door wide open. A man behind the wheel and a woman hanging out of the side of the still moving car. As it goes by, the doors open. I can see the lady hanging out of the driver's door being dragged. Uh, he hits the curb with her dragging out, bounces back and forth. Uh, jumps the curb, jumps the other curb, smashes right into the uh, uh, police building right here. 
Witnesses who saw the final collision into the Alder Grove Community Police Station couldn't believe the woman was still alive after the car came to a sudden stop. I, I, I didn't expect to see her alive. Like she, she was subconscious. But there is significant injury to her one leg and foot, of course. Judging by the damage to the front end of the vehicle, police believe the incident began blocks away. A large section of Fraser Highway was closed until 2 p.m. Monday. According to the Langley RCMP, a man who fled the scene was arrested for impaired operation of a motor vehicle and was taken to the Langley detachment for further investigation. The woman was transported to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. From what I had witnessed sitting in my car, coming around the corner and seeing the limbs, I don't want to cry, but it was very disturbing to watch it and to see it. The incident appears to have begun across the border in Abbotsford, where surveillance footage shows a collision between a black car and another vehicle. Investigators following a trail of damaged vehicles and going door to door looking for surveillance camera footage from Sunday night. There's no charges forward at this time. Uh, we're still working on the investigation. It's still ongoing. Police are asking for anyone with dash camera or surveillance video to contact the Langley RCMP. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Richmond RCMP say there's no evidence the driver who plowed into a restaurant on Friday was impaired by drugs or alcohol. The crash happened at about 11.30 a.m. at the busy intersection of Westminster Highway and Number 3 Road. The Tesla came to a rest inside Changchun Rice Hot Dog Restaurant. A 46-year-old woman who was inside the building was badly hurt and was rushed to hospital in critical condition. Police say she is doing better now and is expected to survive. Richmond RCMP CCIT or Criminal Collision Investigation Team has taken conduct of this investigation. Anyone that has any information on this incident or potential dash cam footage is urged to contact Richmond RCMP. The 20-year-old N driver of the Tesla wasn't hurt. More than seven years after she first disappeared from Salmon Arm, the former boyfriend of Ashley Simpson has finally admitted to her murder. The 32-year-old went missing in 2016 after telling family she was hitchhiking back to Ontario. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the plea came as a relief to her parents. It was 2016 when Ashley Simpson vanished near Salmon Arm. Now, on day one of an expected trial, the woman's former boyfriend, Derek Lee Matthew Favell, has made a surprise guilty plea. Gave me instructions that rather than continue on with the trial, uh, he entered a guilty plea today uh, to second-degree murder. Following Ashley's disappearance, there were multiple searches for the 32-year-old. Her parents said they never gave up hope. Never give up hope. You don't care how the person comes home as long as they come home. Our, our hope dim diminished, or diminished when uh, we couldn't find her. Then, in 2021, a break in the case was announced following a so-called Mr. Big operation involving undercover officers. It resulted in Ashley's remains being found in a forested area outside Salmon Arm and with Favell being charged. The BC Prosecution Service approved one charge of second-degree murder against 39-year-old Derek Favell. Favell was Ashley's boyfriend at the time of her disappearance. Ashley's parents flew from Ontario for the trial. Outside BC Supreme Court in Salmon Arm, they reacted to the guilty plea. 
it was wonderful to hear him pleading. I just wish that he would have done it that week and instead of waiting so long. Ashley's parents say her remains are now home with them and memories of her are very much alive. We call her a gypsy and that's what she was. She loved to explore, do new things, cooking, hiking, fishing. A pre-sentencing Gladue report was ordered, which considers how Indigenous offenders may have been impacted by residential schools and other factors. I also anticipate that when you um, have the opportunity to hear the sentencing, that Mr. Fable will take the opportunity he's given um, as part of the court statute, or part of the Criminal Code of Canada, uh, to make a statement and to express his remorse for what happened. Favelle's sentencing is scheduled for two days in February. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A coalition of businesses and community groups is calling for government to take immediate action on what they call a crisis of property crime and theft. Yeah, as Travis Prasad reports, the group called Save Our Streets, or SOS, says shoplifting and theft from its member stores has become such a problem it's costing B.C. families hundreds of dollars every year. They didn't do anything to you. From thefts to random attacks and violent shoplifters, things are getting worse in communities big and small, according to these concerned citizens. And we can't let this continue. More than 30 community groups and businesses province-wide now banding together to launch the Save Our Streets Coalition, or SOS. The escalation in crime and violence in our communities has reached epidemic proportions and it's been building for a very long time. An epidemic that founding member and London Drugs President Clint Mallman says is not only costing citizens their sense of safety. Absorbing the cost of retail theft and security measures and paying for vandalism is costing BC families an average of $500 annually at a time when they can least afford it. The coalition describes the provincial government's public safety response as piecemeal and lacking urgency. The Kootenays are being swallowed up by pilot projects, band-aids and lack of oversight and mismanagement. Drugs are killing so many people and drug dealers are profiting for killing their clients. Nanaimo residents made noise earlier this year. Protesting what they call a public safety crisis fueled by drug use, mental illness and homelessness. Premier Eby stated that everybody deserves to feel safe in their communities. He's right. We want that feeling to be a fact. The Premier points to a number of initiatives put in place this year, including rules around public use of hard drugs and some 300 repeat violent offenders now under closer monitoring. If there's more that we can do, I want to hear about it from this group. Uh, I look forward to working with them uh, because I really think that the only way we're going to get our hands around this is by working together. The coalition is also demanding the province provides measurable results so people can see if their elected officials are making good on the promise of safer streets. Travis Prasad, Global News. Well, the cost of constantly cleaning up after vandalism and graffiti is a huge burden for businesses. And a new program is about to launch, offering up to $3,000 to help pay those repair bills and hopefully prevent more damage. But as Richard Zussman reports, some business owners say the program is too little, too late. For Jennifer Robinson at Adventure Clothing, it's all part of the cost of doing business. My big picture window was smashed once in January, just in a, uh, a random act of violence. And although the act may be random, the cost is very predictable. 
either an expensive fix or pay the deductible with inevitable insurance increases. 12 years ago, we might see one, one uh, uh, person a month, nefarious character, um, and now it's weekly to almost daily sometimes. That is why after a year plus of advocacy, the province is stepping in. Starting next month, business owners can apply to access $10.5 million in a rebate program. Going back retroactively to January 1st, a business can get up to $2,000 to repair a broken or graffitied window. Very hard to know how this is going to be received and what the need will be. This isn't something that we have data on. So what I would say to small businesses is it would be wise to prepare the materials now. It'll be open for applications to come in on November 22nd. Businesses can also access up to $1,000 in vandalism prevention, including security cameras and gates. This does not include any financial support for security guards. If we were to have more in uh, prevention, it would be uh, better used. Business groups are largely supportive of the province's new program, but would like to see additional financial support for the systemic causes of why windows like this one continue to be smashed. This is a bit of a, a band-aid, though, welcome as it is, that really what the province needs to do is really toughen up on issues around repeat offenders. Robinson loves running her downtown store and just wants to go back to helping her customers explore their adventures rather than navigate the adventure of whether a passerby will smash her window again. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The RCMP BC Highway Patrol will soon stop responding to traffic accidents on provincial highways. The calls will now have to be handled, when appropriate, by local police. And as Janet Brown reports, in Delta, local police are sounding the alarm about the costs to municipalities. The BC Highway Patrol will stop showing up at traffic-related calls on highways. Calls for service include calls of debris on the highway, erratic drivers, uh, collisions, most of them minor without injuries, um, impaired driving complaints, a variety of issues revolving around automobiles. Instead, the new plan for Highway Patrol will shift to proactive traffic enforcement. We can conduct uh, speed enforcement for areas where people are driving aggressively. We can conduct impaired driving uh, enforcement, distracted driving enforcement, all things that are driving fatal collisions and serious injury collision. She says traffic-related calls were never part of the mandate of BC Highway Patrol, but that somehow changed about 12 years ago. Communities such as Delta say that change is going to have a big financial impact. We have 63 kilometres of provincial highway when you think about Highway 17, Highway 99, Highway 91, and then of course access to major infrastructure being the ferries, the ports, and the bridges and tunnels. DeBoard says it means his department will see a 101% annual increase in the overall highway-related workload, from an average 821 files to roughly double that. And he says it means Delta will have to hire six more police officers at an annual cost of about $150,000 apiece for a total closing in on one million. In some communities, there will be a very negligible impact to them operationally. We anticipate that they will see approximately 0.1 traffic-related calls per service per day. The change was to take effect in September, but it's now being postponed. I paused the decision because there needed to be more consultation with uh, local government, particularly in the Lower Mainland. 
Farnworth is suggesting perhaps the change will take place in the spring next year. Janet Brown, Global News. Well, this Halloween, a reminder of the tricks that could be in the treats. A warning from RCMP after some goodies were actually cannabis edibles last year, and other candy contained contaminants too. That's next on the News Hour. How a Tofino surfer earned her chance to take on the world at the Paris Olympics later on the News Hour. Plus. One, two, three. Boy, this new coffee bar is creating such a buzz at YVR. That's later as well. Right now, though, Halloween is supposed to be a frightening but fun experience for everyone. However, sometimes it can also be dangerous. Our Angela Jung spoke to the experts for some advice to help keep you and your family safe. Fireworks have been banned in Vancouver for three years now, but they're far from gone hearing fireworks over the last several days. I, I just heard fireworks going through the night. Vancouver Fire Rescue says fireworks have injured people and destroyed homes. But since the ban... We've seen a significant drop-off in injuries, property loss, and the number of fires. He cautions people should still ensure they have working smoke alarms and to avoid open flames this Halloween. We see a large number of fires still happening with candles. If you can use battery-operated tea lights that simulate a flame or flicker, a lot more safe. A trick-or-treater in Richmond came home with edible cannabis last Halloween. This type of incident was clearly frightening for the, the family and for the child and we don't want another repeat of this uh, this Halloween. Mounties are asking parents and guardians to keep an eye out for suspicious treats. Edibles would have the words THC or cannabis product. Uh, checking kids' candy is nothing out of the ordinary for parents, uh, but, you know, this adds another dimension. As little goblins and ghosts fill the streets, drivers are being asked to slow down. It's just that extra diligence and awareness that Tuesday, you know, as soon as it gets dark, there's going to be a lot of people out. Trick-or-treaters are encouraged to wear reflective clothing and to carry a flashlight. If everyone does their part, this Halloween will be less frightening. Happy Halloween! Angela Jung, Global News. Looking forward to see what they have planned. The studio looks amazing in here, so you have to watch tomorrow morning on Halloween. All right, coming up, a commemorative totem pole brutally vandalized. It, it just makes me feel very uneasy. Meant to honor family members who died tragically, how survivors are reacting to the crime. Next. Also ahead, forestry is a major contributor to the BC economy, but some say it's at the expense of the spotted owl, where the bird is most at risk. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a crash here in on the Coquitlam-Port-Coquitlam border on Lougheed Highway and Dubny Trunk. Uh, southbound traffic is down to just a single lane. Eastbound traffic is blocked. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison at Global One, high above a crash on Lougheed Highway. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Squamish RCMP are now investigating what's being described as a hate crime, damage to a memorial totem pole on Highway 99. The pole honors nine people killed in a washout more than 40 years ago, and Grace Key spoke to surviving family members about the crime that feels personal to them. The strange thing about it is that the person took out all the eyes, and that's a little bit scary to me. It's painful for hereditary Chief Janice George to see the totem pole vandalized. It was built in memory of her family and sits at the Tunnel Point Highway rest area in Squamish. The two faces facing outward, those are my parents looking over the territory, and then that's my sister up there. Her parents, Ross and Molly, 16-year-old sister Charlene, and four-year-old son, Ross Harry, were among the nine people killed in a mudslide that hit the M Creek Bridge October 28, 1981. In the middle there where it's cut right out, that, that was my son's face, and around it are those tri triangles, and I'm a weaver, so... It represents my hand in there. She got the devastating news of the vandalism from the artist, and it couldn't have come at a worse time. It was on Saturday at a family gathering, marking the 42nd anniversary of their deaths. I couldn't believe that somebody would want to do something like that. Um, I was kind of afraid, um, you know, just that it's a lot of hate for somebody to chop a cultural creation. Janice has made a police report. They're not sure when the vandalism happened and is hoping anyone who may have seen anything suspicious will contact police. We'll be praying that somebody doesn't do this again. I, I can't imagine why anybody would want to destroy something so beautiful with such, you know, deep meaning for things that people have suffered for. You know, we suffered we suffered for a long time over this and to, you know, do this and know what they're doing and not worry about how the family felt, that's, uh, it's almost unthinkable. Janice hopes through future fundraising efforts, work will be done to restore the totem pole. Grace Key, Global News. The spotted owl is one of the most endangered species in B.C., with just one wild-born spotted owl believed to be living here. And environmentalists fear the situation could be getting even worse. The province has designated thousands of hectares of owl habitat as protected. But as Cassidy Moscone reports, large swaths in the Chehalis River Basin are being logged. Towering trees in the Chehalis Valley near Harrison Mills. It's been labelled a core critical habitat for the endangered spotted owl by the federal government. This was it in May and this is what it looks like today. What's it like seeing it now? Well, it's a gut punch. Chopped down after the BC government approved loggers to move in. It's a real slap in the face for anyone who wants to see endangered species recover, and I think most Canadians want that. Wilderness experts warning the same thing is happening around the province. Sites in Fire Creek, another example of the endangered species habitat going down. Is it in a old growth priority deferral area? And the answer is, well, yes it is. 
Wildlife experts say every time a forest like this is cut down, it sets back the spotted owl habitat by another 120 years. There is only one known spotted owl left in the wild. The rest are being bred in captivity through a government-run program. But those owls are going to need the right kind of habitat and they've done some good work, they got to step up and do the rest. The minister responsible telling Global News 280,000 hectares of old growth habitat has been set aside for the species. That much old growth protection allows for 150 breeding pairs to live in the wild successfully. There's other areas that people do want protections on that they've declared as critical or important. But in terms of our work as British Columbia government on behalf of BC, bringing these owls back and introducing them back into the wild, we know that the habitat protections are more than sufficient to allow owls to recover. But admitted they do have the power to let loggers into protected areas, a move the Wilderness Committee says will see other species suffer the same fate. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Coming up, the Gaza conflict comes home for local MPs. Abdurrahman Mahmoud Naeem Habush, male, seven years old. Pro-Palestinian demonstrations take over the offices of federal politicians. Also coming up, opportunity for the neurodivergent, the coffee bar with a big difference. Well, definitely avoid eastbound Highway 1 to the Portman Bridge this evening. There is a multi-vehicle crash here with plenty of emergency crews on scene. As a, and as you can see, traffic is squeezing by on both the left and right shoulder. And traffic is just absolutely brutal on the approach. Don't come this way if you're just leaving now. Head over to or Patello Bridge instead. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm sure she was sitting in Global One, high above Highway One in Coquitlam. Protesters demanding a ceasefire by Israeli forces occupied MPs' constituency offices in 12 cities coast to coast, including several in BC. Palestine will be free. Palestine will be free. The takeovers were coordinated by a group called the Palestinian Youth Movement. The group targeted five Liberal and NDP MPs in B.C. who have not signed a letter demanding the Prime Minister call for an immediate ceasefire. So far, 33 MPs have signed that letter. Calling for an immediate ceasefire and opening of the humanitarian corridor and to go beyond that by ending the siege on Gaza um, and also ending Canada's arms sale to Israel and standing up against the occupation, calling for a free Palestine. More protests in cities across Canada are being planned as part of a global day of action this Saturday. It has been more than 48 hours since Israel's prime minister announced the country was entering the second phase of its effort to eliminate the threat posed by Hamas. There is a growing push to ensure hostages are freed, as Israeli officials say the number of those held captive has risen again. Reggie Cicchini has the latest. The ominous glow of an Israeli flare pierces the night sky over Gaza, illuminating what the IDF says are militant targets. By Monday morning, Israel's military claims to have hit more than 600 sites, eliminating what it says were dozens of terrorists, including a naval command officer. But these attacks have had grave consequences. 
Hospitals have been among the targets amid fears militants are hiding below ground. But staff say leaving is simply not an option. We have over 400 patients who are inside the hospital. Many of them are in the intensive care unit. Evacuating them means killing them. We are saying that Benjamin Netanyahu is facing pressure both globally and domestically, but vows to stay in place. The only thing that I intend to have resign is Hamas. Even the White House is standing by Israel's decisions, at least for now. We are not evaluating each and every strike they take, and we're not going to react in real time to each and every operation that they conduct. This is what the so-called second phase of this conflict looks like. But on the ground in Gaza, the agony is palpable amid a rising death toll, while the fear inside Israel is just as harrowing. So too is the pain of burying those who died during the October 7th attack. There's also the matter of hostages and their release. A Hamas video shows three women whose current condition is unknown. And while Israel's prime minister calls it psychological propaganda, families have a different take. It gives us a lot of hope to see that they're still alive. These empty beds and cribs in Jerusalem symbolize those taken against their will. And while an Israeli soldier was freed on Monday, the futures of so many remain so unknown. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. And we have some breaking news from the Premier, who's speaking to the Jewish community in Vancouver tonight. Keith Baldry joins us live with more on this. Keith, Premier EB is announcing a change in the way the Holocaust will be taught in B.C. high schools. Yes, indeed. He just released a statement saying there has been a rise in anti-Semitism in B.C. following the terrorist attacks in Israel, which he said evokes the history of persecution of Jews. So the current situation in B.C. schools is uh, the Holocaust is a recommended option for teachers to teach that to their classes, the history of the Holocaust, uh, in the grade 10 social studies course. That's now going to be changed to a, a mandatory requirement, no longer at the option uh, for a teacher. It's now going to be part of the curriculum for uh, social uh, social studies 10 students going forward but it's not a policy that's going to be implemented by the government it's one that's going to be crafted after extensive consultation with the Jewish community here's the premier we're not going to uh, come up with this on our own um, we are going to work with the community to ensure that the content and the approach reflects the lived experience of this community uh, including in particular Holocaust survivors so that we incorporate those voices we know uh, that Holocaust survivors um, are a precious resource. Right? These voices are precious to us. And having those voices, especially the local voices, the local stories here that bring it home to British Columbian students, are going to be so central to doing this work. So it's going to be a lengthy consultation process. This new change making Holocaust education mandatory in grade 10 doesn't take effect until the beginning of the 2025 school year. Other uh, options also being explored potentially, not necessarily are mandatory, but being part of the curriculum in grade 10 include the Japanese internment uh, in World War II and other discriminations against culturally diverse groups through BC's history. So again, these changes don't take effect until 2025. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. YVR is introducing what it says is a first of its kind at any Canadian airport, an inclusive cafe staffed with a team of individuals from the neurodiverse community. The Paper Plains Cafe serves coffee and snacks for passengers and airport employees. YVR says this new establishment is meant to create inclusive employment opportunities and will provide training and work experience for people with diverse abilities.
It's a place of training, and it's a place of support, and it's a place of growth. So what better place than an airport than to welcome people who don't always have the same uh, employment opportunities as the rest of us, but have so much to give to our community. I'm learning how to use coffee machines, how to operate the coffee machines, and even how to make pastries. It's amazing because they support people with autism and people who are um, like have similar disabilities. This is the first project in a five-year partnership with YVR that it has with the Pacific Autism Family Network to ensure inclusive employment at the airport. Just ahead, punching her ticket to Paris. Benoit, how are you feeling? I feel amazing. The Tofino surfer about to showcase her skills on the biggest stage in sports. And what a sight from the seawall near Stanley Park. Details coming up. From protecting small business gems to outing big business bullies, if it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrewa. Consumer Matters with Andrewa on Global News. What a beautiful sight in the water off Stanley Park on Friday. An orca was spotted swimming under the Lionsgate Bridge. More than one orca, probably two. Let's take a look. The video posted online. You can see the whale popping out of the water. Experts say orca sightings like this might become more common in the area as the number of harbor seals gathering near Stanley Park is on the rise. Seals are one of the transient orca's major food sources. A little snack. A little snack. A little if you're out on a paddleboard one day and one of those suckers goes past you, <laughs> not frightening at all. I don't want to be the snack. You don't, don't want to be the snack. I don't want to be the snack. Off the paddleboard. <laughs> uh, are we going to have decent weather for some paddleboarding uh, over the next little while or are we going in the tank here? Yeah, we are going in the tank. But first off, the good news is, is that we have dry conditions for Halloween and I'll have your Halloween forecast coming up in just a moment. But it has been chilly. Temperatures will dip down once again, especially overnight tonight. We are looking at the risk of frost. We're currently sitting at six and we'll dip down closer to two overnight and into the morning hours. So do keep that in mind. But by the afternoon, Afternoon, we'll see a few clouds in the mix and then we're looking ahead towards that trick-or-treating forecast where we are going to see dry conditions just a few clouds in the mix we've got this ridge that continues to be in place but here's a couple of systems that'll be in behind it'll hold off that's great news for tomorrow but as we get in towards our Wednesday the next weather maker is going to move in it'll intensify especially for Wednesday night and then take us in through the day on Thursday it'll be very wet and windy the takeaway from this storm is we're going to see the rainfall amounts anywhere between this is I've taken this to Thursday night we could see upwards of 20 millimeters and then areas closer to 70. So that range is going to be there and we'll be watching that Wednesday night and then in towards our Thursday. Overnight lows tonight, so we're closer to two into the minus double digits will be for the central interior. And then I wanted to show the overnight lows for tomorrow. These are for the trick-or-treaters. Areas near Whistle will get down to minus three. Some cloud cover along the north coast tomorrow. Temperatures will be up to nine across the central interior. We'll see a mix of sun and cloud. Areas into the southern interior tomorrow with some sunshine in the mix and then dry for the trick-or-treaters in towards the evening. Now along the south coast and the lower mainland, we are going to see temperatures between 10 and up to 11 degrees. But it's that Halloween forecast towards the evening that we are going to see dry conditions. Rain starts to move in. It'll be heavy at times on our Wednesday. Tonight's weather window, a great shot that was captured this morning from Burnaby Lake for Michael. Guys. Happy to hear about a dry night tomorrow. 
Yeah, for sure. All Thanks right, so Squire is here now, and this is such a shocking and sad story in the hockey world, Squire. It is, and there were Canucks who knew Adam Johnson, the young man who died during a game in England when his throat was cut by a skate. Canucks like Sam Lafferty knew him. Um, unbelievable player, one of the best skaters I've ever played with, and um, yeah, just very sad overall. Adam Johnson spent some time with the Pittsburgh Penguins. His death has sent a shockwave through the hockey world. No doubt it has. Thanks, Squire. Also tonight. I feel amazing. A wave of Tofino talent in the surf world with the latest athlete now heading to the Olympics. A lot of optimism and enthusiasm surrounding the Canucks so far this year. And for good reason. And there are a lot of reasons the Canucks have been a pleasant surprise so far. But one of the big ones is the players are liking the job that the coaching staff is doing. And they're following the plan. You can see it. Back-checking hard. Less odd man rushes against the Canucks than we saw last year. Rick Tockett knows not all coaches get a total buy-in all the time. But he is getting one right now. We have the approach every day. We got to try to earn it, earn our day. And I, you know, I, I think, the, and I'm not saying they did last year, but um, you know, the word entitled. I hate the word entitlement, and I think guys like the word earning. They're earning it, so I like that. And when you call a guy in your office or hey, you guys, they're not shaking their head. They they want it. And actually, there's some guys that knock on your door. Hey, I want to see video with you. So when you get that, it really helps you as a coach when you get that kind of uh, buy buy-in. Usually, Canuck fans are more interested in prospects and the future because the present is too ghastly to think about, but not so far this season. However, there is good news on the prospect front. First-round draft pick Jonathan LeCaramacchi from uh, last year is tied for most goals in the Swedish League right now. And in the American Hockey League, the two leading scorers are both from the Abbotsford Canucks, veteran defenseman Christian Willannon, who was the best defenseman in the AHL last season, and forward Arsteep Baines of Surrey. Baines has three goals and eight assists in eight games so far this season. He's always had a scoring touch. He won the WHL scoring title playing for Red Deer a couple of years ago. So we know he can put the puck in the net, but he's also a very good passer. And Jonathan Karamaki has scored eight goals, including this beauty. And he's only 19 years old, playing against Swedish Hockey League veterans this season. Well, the hockey world is still in shock about the death of former Pittsburgh Penguin Adam Johnson during a game in England where his throat was cut by a skate blade during a game. There are players on the Canucks who knew Johnson from his time in the NHL, the AHL, and U.S. college hockey. And Adam Johnson, back for Aston Reese. Lafferty is in, rips a shot, stop on the rebound, Johnson, he scores! Get that puck, first NHL goal, Adam Johnson! Condolences on the loss of a former teammate. What do you tell us about him? He was just a great guy. Um, everyone's pretty devastated. You know, it's shocking. It's sad. Um, Johnny was a great guy. Fun to be around. Played a lot with him. Uh, a lot of his line mates. And um, unbelievable player. One of the best skaters I've ever played with. And, um, yeah, just very sad overall. That's, uh, I think it just shook everybody up. Um, you know, anytime anybody dies, but just the, the, the way it happened, it's, uh, it's really sad. Sam Lafferty, the Vancouver Canucks, and everyone in the hockey world are still processing the death of a fellow player and former teammate. 
Lafferty spent three seasons playing with Adam Johnson, assisting on Johnson's first and only NHL goal. Lafferty, what's Johnson going to do? Give Lafferty a piece of that puck? That's his first point in the National Hockey League as well. He ripped it top shelf and can still see the look on his face. Just, you know, pure elation, pure joy. And um, it was cool to, you know, we all kind of came up through Wilkes-Barre together and to share that moment. And, and his home state of Minnesota on top of that, felt like his whole town was there for that one. And, um, something I'll never forget. Canucks defenseman Carson Soucy played college hockey with Johnson. Soucy was too emotional to speak with the media about the passing of Johnson. The England Ice Hockey League where Johnson was playing has now mandated neck protection for all players beginning January the 1st. But despite the tragic death, not a single Canucks player was trying out neck protection of any kind at practice. You know, there's skates flying all over the place. There's sticks flying. I mean, I can tell you how many times I looked at my visor, had a skate slash right through it, and I had no idea a skate was near my face. Like, it's a very dangerous sport we're playing. Quite frankly, we're, we're extremely fortunate that it doesn't happen more often. You know, as you know, hockey players are, are creatures of habit. And, I mean, you, there are guys that have worn the same equipment for 20 years, right? So, um, you know, we're a, we're a slow sport to change. Uh, maybe sometimes... For the good, for good, or it's not for for bad, and um, you know, it's uh, like you said, it's not going to happen overnight. But I think that there will be some conversations as to what we can do to try to prevent stuff like that. The Seattle Seahawks are first in the NFC West right now at five and two, but they're also adding. They traded a second and fifth round draft pick to the New York Giants for the guy beside me, nine-year defensive lineman, veteran Leonard Williams who will add to the Seahawks' pass rush, although he's had a bit of an off-season so far, mind you, everyone in the Giants has. But Pete Carroll thinks he will get it together in Seattle. I'm really excited for our guys to get to know Leonard, you know, and, and uh, see who he is and what he's all about. His competitiveness is really very similar to the guys that we have in this program. And uh, he's going to fit in great. And Lionel Messi, Ballon d'Or winner. Or the golden ball, if you like, because I don't speak French very well. <laughs> <laughs> I know we The eighth did. time. <laughs> wow. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a Tofino surfer riding a wave of success all the way to Paris. From the stories that affect us all to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, as we reported, the premier is making Holocaust education mandatory for high school students. Tonight we explore whether it should also be mandatory for post-secondary instructors. Plus, what Langara College is saying about a faculty member in the English department who described the October 7th attack by Hamas as a, quote, amazing and brilliant offensive. Natalie Knight made the comment during a weekend rally in downtown Vancouver. Join us tonight for Global News at 11. Chris? Sure will. Thanks very much, Jordan. A Tofino surfer is making history on her way to the Olympics next summer. That's right. The young woman qualified for the Games during the Pan Am Games today. And as Kylie Stanton reports, this makes her the first Canadian ever to do it. Surfing is all about riding the wave. And when there is so much, riding on doing it well, the best in the world know exactly what to do. There's definitely a lot of nerves, but she got myself mentally in a good space. And just every moment and, you know, every wave that came through, I just felt 
very, you know, alert and in tune with the ocean. And luckily that first heat, it just kind of came together for me. He's got something to give you. And a dream came true. Early Monday, Sanoa Dempfley Olin made history, becoming the first Canadian surfer to ever qualify for the Olympic Games. I kind of just had a moment and got kind of overwhelmed with emotions and just filled with happiness because, you know, something that I dreamed of my whole life was official and had just, you know, become true, so. The 18-year-old from Tofino was in Chile competing in the Pan American Games Women's Shortboard Final, where despite the difficult conditions, she managed to catch two waves in the 20-minute heat. And then you're scored based on the turns you do on the wave the speed you have on the wave, how you flow all your moves together. Her sister, a fellow surfer and family back home, cheering her on every step of the way towards her silver medal finish. I think she was just really in the moment and trying to take it all in and just enjoy it because she definitely earned it. Noah, how are you feeling? I feel amazing. I'm so happy right now. The feeling back home in Tofino is mutual. Being a first, it's huge. It's um, like one of those things, it's almost hard to believe in it when it's happening. You know, we're a small town surfing for about 40 years here in Tofino. And here we are, you know, here she is at the Olympics. It's, it's just absolutely fantastic. Now, with a ticket in hand, the countdown to Paris 2024 is on. The dream of so many Canadian surfers, now finally a reality for one. The fact that I'm going to be able to call myself an Olympian is super special. For the Canadian surfing community, I think this moment is very huge. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Wow, exciting. That's amazing. Weekend Canada. surfing in Tofino, look where you could end up. Yes. <laughs> Canada is third in medals right now at the Pan Am Games. Overall awesome. medals. I think I managed to stay upright on a surfboard for like half a second. Maybe <laughs> one and a half seconds. Yeah, Chris be, is the only guy I've ever seen who stood on a surfboard and sunk. <laughs> I, I, I sank. It, it didn't go well at all. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll try it again one day. Yeah. yeah, I'll try again. Halloween tomorrow night. It's going to be dry. That's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good, uh, good news. It'll just be chilly. Keep that in mind. Risk of frost. Do bundle up. But for the trick-or-treaters, we've got a great night for Halloween. The rain starts to move on our Wednesday and very wet and windy on our Thursday so far. Beautiful. And if you see me or tomorrow night, Whatever you got. It's usually Wonder Bar or peanut butter, anything like that. Ask I'm him off. to do a trick. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see what I can come For up with. For his treat. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, all.